The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Once again, we want to welcome you guys to TBC. I'm just so glad to be with you today and uh, don't want to miss introducing my good friend, my longtime friend, Jeff Stiegel, I was kind of made fun of him the last hour. He was just waiting for it. But he has been around a long time, and uh, he is just a faithful servant of God's and uh, just glad to be up here with him this, uh, this Sunday. Uh, about a year ago, a little longer than a year ago, uh, Jeff was up here on stage as the Feed My Sheep director and kind of introduced the ministry to us. Many of you know about Feed My Sheep already, but he just kind of talked a little bit about what they do there. Uh, but today is an exciting exciting day because we get to even uh, go further and talk about what God's doing in a special way there at Feed My Sheep. So uh, Jeff, we got uh, this obvious need among the community uh, with the mental health uh, concerns and situations of the people that you serve, especially in the uh, central kind of downtown area there. So tell us a little bit more about uh, maybe the need that's there and uh, what's going on at Feed My Sheep. I'd be glad to. Uh, I don't know if this is allowed, but I'm going to ask a question of you. Oh, no, no it's not allowed. No. Ready? Yeah. After this morning, is it obvious that mental health is of utmost importance yes, in this world? Yes, it is. It is. Okay. And I will say this at Feed My Sheep, in all the years that I've been there, uh, 10 plus helping out there and doing stuff, uh, mental health, addiction, and such like that is rampant. And I would say in, in that world, uh, if you provide a house, for a person that is homeless and you have not addressed mental health, you're going to have an empty house in six months. If you get a job to somebody who's suffering from mental illness and it is not treated and it is not addressed, they're going to be looking for a job again very shortly. Addiction recovery and abuse and mental illness is holding a lot of people hostage in a world that they do not want to live in. And that's plain and simple. And I would say it's in this room as well. Yeah, so we see the need that's out there. There's definitely need for intervention. And so I know you guys have done studies and kind of looked over that from your people. Of um, They did a, a long survey, and a couple of the findings are up on the screen. But as you've seen this over the past year, uh, this desire has grown in you and, and this desire of the people that you serve with on the board uh, to meet the needs of those who are, are dealing with these issues, struggling with those. So why don't you tell us a little bit about God, how God has opened up some of those doors uh, for Feed My Sheep uh, in, this, in this area. I'd be glad to, and I will say first off, uh, very, uh, very few times in your life do you realize significant moments when they occur, and you can point back to them to the exact moment. And I can tell you August the 8th at 9.45 a.m., Tim and I were up here, and God opened this door for the mental health deal in a way that I have never seen before, came before this congregation at the first service and Tim said, hey, let's pray for the Feed My Sheep ministry. And I made an error as a leader of a deal. And I said, no, if I've got a congregation and it says where two or three are gathered and they ask for it in my name, it shall be. I cannot pass up a chance to say we all need to pray for Melissa. Because Melissa has been trapped in mental illness at that time. She had been trapped eight years and lives a life that we cannot even imagine. And I said, the thing that we can do best is to pray for her mental health. And guess what? I would say that day is when God has started opening this door and saying, we want 
healing. We want wellness. We need a place for my people to be free. So it's pretty powerful to hear that, just to think about how God brought this from that moment on August 8th to now and just the things that have gone on behind the scenes, just the partnership between other churches in our area as well and with Jeff and with the board that's been assembled. So it's obviously going to take a lot of collaboration in our community to pull this off, to have this wellness center, this sunrise center as it's going to be called, uh, to happen. So tell us a little bit about uh, maybe some things that uh, people here can do, whether it's give or serve or both how's that going to look well I will tell you on that we'll maybe go take a step back on that one as well Uh, a way that this congregation can serve your college students went in the house yesterday and they prayed for each room individually and walked through each room and prayed for God's miracles to occur in that place that is help okay if you have a background in mental health We are looking for people that have this passion, that desire for freedom to be in that place. God is opening doors that I'd love to, I'd love to tell you all the stuff that has occurred in the last little bit, because it is amazing what God is doing. And I will tell you what's also incredible on this project right here. Ready. This church is spearheading three other big churches in this area are going to work together on this project and say, God says mental health is important in East Temple. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's great to see how God brings people together from different walks of life. And you can see here on the screen, it's also in your digital bulletin. If you look on the website, it's on our hub as well, where you can give and where you can also serve. We're going to help gut that house. We're going to help transform that house with new furniture and uh, landscaping and a wheelchair ramp. And, and really what it's going to look like in a lot of ways is what we have, the Body of Christ Clinic that has medical professionals that volunteer in this regard, we're going to have uh, mental health professionals who volunteer. So you can go there if you're in that world and you can volunteer and sign up and get ready to roll with this amazing thing that God has going on. So, uh, Jeff, we appreciate you being here and sharing with us. Let me pray. Yeah, you go ahead. Give them a, yeah, Absolutely. So I'm going to pray first before you run off the stage. Uh, God, we thank you so much for Jeff and his desire to see uh, true change happen. Lord, we know that it doesn't happen apart from the gospel, but part of the gospel is mental health. Part of the change that comes is through uh, someone who is struggling in this area and that sees the freedom that comes from you and sees the freedom that can come from help from a professional. Lord, I just pray that you'll just allow us to see even one year from today to be able to see this place up and running, to see what you're doing in an amazing way. We're excited, God, to see all the blessings that come from following you by faith. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. So, uh, all right, so transitioning into First Peter, our passage, this is a, a great tie-in, which you're going to see toward the end of the passage today, into what it looks like to serve and love others. But we're looking at First Peter chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 11, and it's just a powerful passage when it comes to being a faithful steward of God's grace. And so I, I'd like to start today with a simple question from you. If someone were to ask how we know that the gospel is true, could we point to the church? If someone were going to ask how the gospel is true, can we or could we point 
to the church. Now, I don't mean just here in our, our things we do, junior high, high school, college, and women's ministry, you know, all the small groups. I don't mean all the activities of the church, but I mean the body of Christ at work in our community. Would someone who doesn't know Jesus be able to point to the church and say, yeah, that's it? If you think about this scenario, you pick someone who knows nothing of Christianity, nothing at all, has never been exposed to it at all, and you give her three months to interview Christians, to have access to their social media, and to attend various churches, and then you let her write, encourage her to write her response and what she's experienced. And then you give that same person a month or two to read the New Testament, You have her read the New Testament, then you have her write down major themes and conclusions that she comes to, have her write her findings, and then you put them side by side. The question would be, would be, does what she like observes by going to churches, by interviewing people, by looking at their social media, by seeing how they act outside of this building, would it be a definition of the gospel? Would it tie in? Would it compare well and really tie into the church in the New Testament? You think she would find these similarities in the New Testament churches that she sees in reading. See, in the New Testament, she would clearly find that many Christians face tons of obstacles and of opposition while enduring suffering. They've suffered joyfully and faithfully, she would find. But on the contrary, although some in our churches we sacrifice and we've been through some things, for the most part, I imagine many of her experiences of observing the Western church would actually be highlighted by themes of consumerism, themes of narcissism, an avoidance of suffering at all costs. Quite the opposite of what we see in the New Testament. So how do we break free from this me first, my truth, show me the blessings, hypocritical Christianity? How do we get away from that and get back to New Testament? Church, get back to suffering and grace, get back to going through difficulty even willingly to see what God will teach us from it versus running from it. Well, I'm glad you asked all those wonderful questions because we're going to find it here in 1 Peter chapter 4 that what, what it looks like is living a life that is a faithful steward of God's grace. A steward is someone who's been given something, a responsibility. You've been given a precious gift, and a steward is somebody who does something with it, who multiplies it, and this grace is this gift to us. So we can look at verse 1 and 2 in 1 Peter chapter 4 and see that being faithful stewards of God's grace requires a different mindset. Verse one says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions but for the will of God. 
So if he says words like to start this chapter that say, since therefore, then you have to look back and say, what in the world is he talking about? What is he referring to back in chapter three? And we can see in 318, he talks about Jesus as the suffering servant, Jesus as our sacrifice in the flesh. And so he's reiterating this idea that Christ suffered in the flesh. It was human form. He experienced pain and agony just like we would experience And so it was in the flesh, but then he encourages us with a different mindset here. He says, arm yourself with the same way of thinking, the same way of thinking of who? It's Jesus. And it's interesting, this concept that he comes up with is arm yourselves. And of course, it's referring to military or can be referring to hunting, like hunting season. I know we drug Jeff out off the field uh, to be here today because he loves being out there hunting. But the idea of arming yourself is this idea of taking up arms, being ready for battle. But it's signifying that our battle is mostly spiritual, That yes, we do experience things in the flesh, battles in the flesh, but most of the battles we face are actually spiritual. They manifest themselves in the flesh, but we don't see them as spiritual. Oftentimes, we just see them as physical. So he's saying, look, arm yourselves. And anytime I see this reference, it reminds me of a quote from John Piper. He says, I'm wired by nature to love the same toys the world loves. I start to fit in. I start to love what others love. I start to call earth home. Before you know it, I'm calling luxury needs, using my money just the way unbelievers do. I begin to forget the war. It's a terrible sickness, and I thank God for those who have forced me again and again toward a wartime mindset. Do you have those people? Do you have those people in your life that really help you focus on what's really at stake here? That this is a war and a battle that we're in, and that we can't be sleeping on the battlefield. We have to be engaged in the warfare and arm ourselves with the weapons that we can find in Ephesians chapter 6. At the end of that passage, he says in verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all, stand firm. So not only does he call us to arm ourselves, but he also shows us that we can cease from sin. And we have to be careful here because Just because we come to Christ doesn't mean that we're perfect. Sometimes it means we end up becoming a little worse at times because of the battles we face. So he's not saying we can ultimately stop sinning, but he's helping us understand here that we've been set free from slavery to sin. Just as Paul says in Romans 6, 1, 2, and 7, he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might abound? And he emphasizes, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? For one who who has died has been set free from sin. He goes on to say in verse 2, So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer of human passions. And so he's saying, look, whatever time you have, Whatever time you have left, starting at conversion, let's move on to something greater. Live for Jesus. No longer living for your own passions anymore. You've had different histories. I've had a history, you know, I started following Jesus at a really early age. And some of you may have just started following Jesus and some of you are in between. But it doesn't matter your age right now. What he's calling us to is to live for different passions 
than the world says. Live for different things that drive us than what the world puts out there. So he says in Titus 2, 11 and 12, we see this encouragement. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So we have this different mindset when it comes to being a steward of the grace of God, a different way of thinking than the world does. And secondly, we can see that being a faithful steward of God's grace, it requires a change of passions and pursuits. Look at verse three. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. <clears throat> For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. So we see here this first encouragement in verse three saying the time has passed, right? Kind of an interesting statement. He's basically saying we've all had enough time living for ourselves. It's time to move on to something better and greater. You've had enough time feeding your flesh and stuffing your face with what the world has to offer. And it always leaves us wanting more. It always leaves us wanting something else that never satisfies. And he's like, the time has passed for pursuing these things that don't matter. It reminds me of a, a William Carey quote that comes up on my phone because I need these reminders because I'm the same way just like you and I forget things and I start consuming what the world offers and I think it's good and it ends up being a sickness, right? And William Carey says this quote on the screen, I'm not afraid of failure but I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. And oftentimes, all of us in this room can confess, look, I'm really good at succeeding at things that don't matter. And I can echo that. And that's why I have the reminder on my phone every stinking week, because I have the same sickness. And what he's talking about really is really a, an attitude of not having a fallback plan. Not having something to go back to, not going back to the old way anymore. And how do we do that? How do we not have these safety nets where we can just go back to our comfort and, and rely on our money to save us or relying on other people to boost our self-esteem to get us going again? How can we burn those bridges? And the reality is it was kind of interesting, the timing that God does. Last week, I was preparing a lesson uh, for the students out there at the Outback. And it was on Elisha. And uh, first of all, I had to get them straight because I've been around the church for a long, long time. And I still get him confused. Who's who? Elijah, Elisha, who came first? I don't I remember sometimes. So I had to get into that. Then once I remembered that Elisha came next, I thought about this story. And Elijah comes to Elisha and he comes to him while he's plowing a field with his oxen. And he's got these oxen, this team of oxen, and he's plowing the field. And he comes to him and says, hey, it's time to go. 
let's go. You're going to be my mentee. I'm going to mentor you. We're going to do ministry together. And Elisha's response was interesting because if you're reading it and you pause, he just says something like, uh, well, let me go talk to my family and stuff like that. And I imagine Jesus saying, you know, let your family do what they do. You come follow me. But Elijah actually lets him go. And what he does is an amazing example of no fallback plan. Anybody remember what he does? He slaughters the oxen. His means of support, his means of finances, he literally kills. Then he takes the wood uh, yoke that held them together, he burns it and roasts and barbecues the oxen over the yoke and has a party, a going away party for himself and says, let's do this. No fallback plan. He was called by God and he went for it. And this is what Peter's saying. Look, the time has passed for following your own desires. The time has passed. Now live for something better. He talks about the list of things, living and sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatries, and talking to a friend this week, and he's like, man, it's kind of interesting, right, that this list has been around thousands of years, and guess what? It's still the same thing. Now, there are some creative ways to sin now that weren't around back then with the technology, but in reality, most of this stuff listed has been going on for years, It's nothing creative, but we still fall, we still sin, and it's still here, knocking at the door. So there's no place as a Christian for actively living in sin, is what he's saying. Yes, you will sin, but it's not that you get comfortable there anymore. You feel the conviction, and you repent, and you confess, Ephesians 5.11 says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. So you're not just rejecting the darkness, you're actually being utilized in a way to expose darkness. You're on a mission, you're not passive. It goes back to the arm yourselves reference. You're not a passive believer, just letting things happen to you. You're engaging in the warfare and seeing for, for what it is and you're pushing back against the enemy with the power of the Spirit. So then he goes on to say, they are surprised. I love this reference in verse four with respect to this, they are surprised. So the Gentiles, the people who are living it up, partying really hard, are the people that are surprised by what they're not participating in because apparently they used to and now they're not anymore. And they're surprised by this. So it's kind of interesting. I thought about this example. And I thought about um, a chameleon who blends in, who oftentimes we become, and we just blend into our surroundings and don't stand out. But, but Peter here is saying, hey, you need to stand out. And so as I was thinking about a chameleon, I was thinking about this question. Are we living more like chameleons or Amazon pink river dolphins? So your face looks like mine was when I Googled uh, just an, I just looked for an animal that stands out. That's all I did this week. I said, Google, tell me an animal that uh, stands out. And the first thing that came up was the pink river dolphin. Never heard it existed, never knew about it. There it is, just having fun in the river, pink river dolphin. So the chameleon blends into the surroundings, doesn't stand out, there's no surprise there, they're just there, they just blend in, no real change, no excitement, it's just kind of there. Sorry, chameleon lovers, but that's just what happens, right? 
And then you have the Amazon Pink River Dolphin. Obviously, that thing has some fun. Uh, all the pictures I saw was like jumping around and, you know, pretty excited. So it's a, a kind of a cool thing to think about. So I read about it because I had no idea. Started reading about its description and how does this dolphin get its pink hue? How does that skin go from being gray at birth to becoming pink? And there are two things in the list that were highlighted that just kind of blew me away as a tie-in to what we're talking about standing out, being surprised to the world around us. It says one thing was the pink color basically comes from, first of all, battles with other dolphins and struggle and even suffering, you want to call it, and compare it to First Peter. There's battles that take place, and as they battle with one another, the skin actually starts to reveal itself for this pink color. And the more they actually fight, the more pink they get. And so the one that gets the most pink has been through a lot. And they kind of look at each other like, oh man, you've been through it, right? <laughs> and they stand out and they're surprised, but the other one is, uh, is sunlight, exposure to sunlight. So the more they swim toward the top, the more they jump and they're exposed to that sunlight, the more pink they get. And I have to go against the best wishes of my wife here because it ties so well into the new mental health center, the, the mental health center, and she said this is gonna be totally cheesy, so just take it for how it is. The exposure to the sun, the sunrise center, the sun of Jesus. I mean, the sun of God, Jesus himself. This is the sun, so our exposure to this sun allows us to stand out. It's, it's us being abiding in Christ, us being around the word, us being in prayer and in biblical community together allows us to stand out and become that pink river dolphin that is surprising the world in a different way, is being seen in a way that's different and people see us and not only see us, but hopefully see the Father and the Son and the Spirit through us. So be a pink river dolphin instead of chameleon. So we think about verse five, it says, God is just. All will give account. Acts 10, 42 says, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. We see this judgment all throughout, even chapter three as well, of God and people standing before God and this righteous judge and this just God. And I love this concept because it's, the idea is this. Uh, the world looks at us, they're surprised that we're so weird sometimes and we do things that just are out of the ordinary, ordinary in the name of Jesus. And I love this statement. Just let them mock. It says they malign you. They will malign you. And that's basically a mockery of who you are. And my, my encouragement to you is to let people mock let them call you out for being different. Wear it as a badge of honor. You know, you've been promised in Psalm 23 that you have a banquet waiting for you. And throughout scripture, it talks about rewards and talks about uh, mansions and talks about being in God's presence. You have a celebration, a feast waiting for you. So let people mock. Let them be surprised. And let it point them to Jesus because we're different. So then verse six, there's 
some debate about what's being said here for this is why the gospel is preached even those who are dead because it comes so closely to chapter three when Dave talked to us last week about dead people being preached to, which is a little, little hard to understand, and he did an amazing job, so I'm going to leave that there. But just reading it and reading some commentaries, most scholars agree that Peter is referring to Christians in Asia Minor who heard the gospel, but they are now physically dead. So they, even the, some translations say that are, who are now dead. So the idea is living by the spirit, although existing in the flesh, they existed in the flesh, they passed away, they died, and now are able to live in the spirit. Just like Galatians 5.16, I say, walk by the spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Juan Sanchez puts it this way, Peter is simply saying that the gospel preached to us and believed by us gives us a hope beyond the now. So we've seen here that we have a different mindset, different passions and pursuits. And then lastly, we can see that being faithful stewards of God's grace enables us to live out the gospel in verse 7 through 11. Verse 7 says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keeping loving one, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we get to live out the gospel. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So we get to live out this gospel, a new living hope. So in verse 7, he says something kind of interesting. He says, The end of all things is at hand. Now, obviously, Peter believes this to be true. So what do we do that this actually didn't happen? It's like, Peter, you said the end is at hand, and uh, hey, we're still here. It's 2022. And so there's some conflict here, and some, this, some people use this first to say, well, see, this is inconsistent. This isn't right. So I looked into some insights from different commentaries, and one really stuck out to me. Scott McKnight explains that the belief that the next event would usher in the last days was typical for Jewish prophecy. And so the prophets always thought in this direction. When the next event did not usher in the last days, it's not that everyone thought, oh, Peter, you're wrong, you're a false prophet. The people of God actually recognize that the prophet's view of what's next, events, it wasn't wrong. It's just it was a short-sighted view of his timeline. So we see that things that are said, although they're not specific about he's going to come at this time, he saw it as something that was coming. But just as God tells us in his word that a day could be a thousand years. And so oftentimes we see things that should be happening right away when God has grace and mercy and he's waiting. He's saying, hold up. I want people to hear the gospel. I want them to be able to be changed. Philippians 4, 5 says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So this is how we should live. The Lord is at hand. So he pushes us to be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of our prayers. 
It reminds us again of chapter three. If you look at verse seven, we studied about husbands and how husbands should love their wives in an understanding way so that their prayers wouldn't be hindered. And so we realize there's a connection there. And also in, uh, when we think about those, that concept, we can also see that in verse uh, 15 when we think about this concept, I'm sorry, verse 12, an obedient community and how our prayers are connected to be, being obedient. You see, Peter recognized that we are distracted. Now, if you know anything about Peter, you know that he was the poster child for ADD, ADHD before it was diagnosed, Right? If you know about his life, he's jumping out in the water, walking on the water, looking at Jesus. Oh, a wave, bam, he goes underwater, right? I'll never deny you. Hours later, denying Jesus, chopping off a soldier's ear, right? Just, just really spur of the moment, sporadic. But it's interesting that Peter has grown up a little bit, has matured in the faith in this letter that he's writing. And he's like, hey, of all the people, be self-controlled. Be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So what pushes us to be this way? How can we be self-controlled and sober-minded? There's two things. The one we just mentioned, end of days. See, Jesus says something similar in Mark 13, 33. Be on guard, keep awake. You do not know when the time will come. That's kind of the idea of the two-minute drill. Dave gave me this insight this week. We're talking about, you know, football's going on and all these different things happening. I, I do need to pause. I think we got that slide. You got to check that out. I don't know uh, why this popped up, but it was Google. I didn't even Google Eagles or Jalen Hurts, but that's just how it happened. Uh, it looked like a great picture to show you guys. I do need to pause and just take a second to say it's a great time to be a Philadelphia sports fan. Sorry. Uh, yes, yes, thank you. Uh, but I know it'll all come crashing down because that's what happens to Philadelphia fans, uh, just like Cowboy fans. But uh, <clears throat> so when we think about uh, what's going on here, Dave is like, hey, it's like the two-minute drill. And it could be like stoppage time if you're into soccer or extra innings for baseball or whatever it is. There's like a sense of urgency that happens. You're down and there's two minutes left and you better get your stuff straight, right? You gotta be ready to roll. And they get to the, the line quick. They don't huddle. They're ready to roll. Chris passes, running the line. And it's like the two minute drill's here and it brings a sense of urgency. And then the reality is, why in the world don't we just live that way? Why don't we play that way all the time? It's kind of interesting that it takes being down and two minutes left in a game to really kick us in the pants to do what we should have done all along, right? And Peter's trying to help us see, hey, the Lord's at hand. It's time. It's the end of days. Get with the program. Get after it. Be on the offensive. Live for Jesus. Be different. Make them surprised. And then the second way that we can be self-controlled and sober-minded is but through suffering and trials, which he has said all through this book of 1 Peter. Even for me personally and my wife and our family, we've just been going through some things you know, with friends and family that are just tough. <clears throat> and you know what it's done? It's pushed us to our knees. It's given us stronger focus and allows us to see who God is even in these moments of difficulty. 
So suffering and trials help us be self-controlled and sober-minded. And this last section is summed up by this statement, keep loving one another. Look at verse eight. I love the word keep. He didn't just say love one another because he was observing these people who he was writing to already doing it. And he's encouraging them to say, keep doing it. And as I look around this room, just like I said in the last hour, when I look around this room and I see faces as I talk up here, and I can see all of you, especially those that are falling asleep, but I can see you. And I see so many of you who are actively living out your faith. And it's so encouraging. And my encouragement to you, just like Peter gave these people, is to keep it up. Keep loving one another. John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then he goes on to say, this love covers a multitude of sins. You think about that statement. If I cut someone off on the highway, if, I rarely do that, but if I do, they're gonna have a reaction that's probably kind of, bad and mean because they don't know me. But if I do something else to someone that I love and I say something to them, they understand who I am and they understand that I'm kind of quick with my mouth sometimes and they understand, hey, let me give him some grace or at least as he apologizes, I can forgive him. And this is what we're looking at here, that this love as we love one another, it covers the fact that we're imperfect. It helps people see us for who we are. Then he goes on, he says, be loving. Then he says, be hospitable, be a willing uh, host who gives your guests the best. Not gives them some leftovers or some cheap meal, but the person that comes in and gives them the best as they come into your house. You're welcoming your neighbors. And it reminds me of uh, not only 1 Timothy 5.10, but also of my my grandmom. Her name is Mumom, and she passed away uh, a while ago. But I remember going to her house so often, and she would host us as kids and oftentimes we were bratty and kind of wanted to do our thing but she was such a gracious host and was always had something going on when we're we're painting ceramics she was an amazing artist and would would burn these uh, like bake these ceramics and we paint them together she had always had a meal plan if she didn't have the meal she'd give us money to walk down the store to get what we needed it was just this amazing model of being hospitable And then be serving one another by using your spiritual gifts. Many of you have the gifts of service, being able to serve one another and love them in the name of Jesus through the gift that's been given to you. Reminds me of Paul DeLord and his family, uh, a man that comes to this church faithfully and at our food drive, we support these families. In our gift drive, we have a huge Christmas like blowout party at the Creekside building. And he basically gets up at like three in the morning and is cooking ham and turkey and all these sides and just using the gift of serving that God's blessed him with in an amazing way. Serve others with the gifts God's given you. Then he says, be speaking in a way that glorifies God. Oracles of God, being able to speak words of encouragement. It reminds me of a friend of mine who is overseas serving globally 
and he's serving so faithfully, but they were home, he and his family were home for the past year. And every time I got together with him, even walking over by Feed My Sheep on prayer walks with him, every time I heard him open his mouth, besides that he was a good friend who also likes Philly sports, and we shared those moments. But more importantly, it was the moments that he continued to speak words of God to me and about the church and about the community of what God could do, especially over that area. And it's just an amazing thing to hear someone speak words of God, encouraging words. He echoed Psalm 1914, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. So the challenge for us, the question is, are you a faithful steward? Maybe you've been convicted today that you haven't been a faithful steward of God's grace. Let this time as we sing together be a time of confession and repentance away from the things that the world has to offer and into an exciting life of suffering and joy combined. Let your words be ones that look like a different mindset. Let your passions and pursuits be different than the world pursues and take the time and energy and effort in the rest of your days to live out the gospel and let the world be surprised. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for your love, your mercy, your grace. I pray for those that may not know you in here that they will understand that they can have this amazing life that even when struggle and trials come, we can face them with joy knowing that you have something greater. That the gospel lived out through us can make a difference in those around us. Bless us as we finish our time just worshiping and praising you, giving all honor and glory to your name. In your name we pray, amen.